So I have to tell you, I am one of the tutors at Project Hope, and I didn't realize they were showing that video this morning, but it has been a true blessing. I actually tutor a fourth grader, soon to be fifth grader, named Fernanda, and I will tell you, I am not smarter than a fourth grader. <laughs> but it, it has been super fun. As Stephanie mentioned, my name is Paige Christian, and I am one of the associate pastors here at Christ United. And as we continue this sermon series on 2 Corinthians, Diving Deep, which is a journey through this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, um, I want to just refresh your memory a little bit in case you have forgotten, or if you weren't here the last few weeks, Stephanie went through chapters one through three, which talked about the workings of reconciliation. And then the week after that, she went through chapters three through five to talk about a new creation in Christ. And then last week was chapters six through seven, where she talked about God being revealed through humility, through suffering, and through poverty. Now today we're covering 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, but I have to say when Stephanie invited me to preach today, I didn't realize that I had the task of talking about generosity, and when you read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, you think, ah, it's the money talk. Why do I have to do the money talk? And so before you guys run for the doors, or before those of you online disconnect, let me explain or provide a little bit more clarity to what we are talking about and what Paul is really trying to remind the Corinthians of in our scripture today. So I've only seen a few people run for the doors. Hopefully no one has disconnected. But chapters 8 and 9 of Corinthians have a couple of key parts. I'm not going to read, lucky for you guys, all of 8 and 9. I'm going to read parts of it. And I want to start with chapter 8. And we'll be reading beginning with verse 7 through 9. So hear the word of the Lord. Be the best in this work of grace in the same way that you are a best, the best in everything, such as faith, speech, knowledge, total commitment, and the love we inspired in you. I'm not giving an order, but by mentioning the commitment of others, I'm trying to prove the authenticity of your love also. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, so that you could become rich through his poverty. And now let's move on to chapter 9, beginning with verse 5 through 8. Paul says, This is why I thought it was necessary to encourage the brothers to go to you ahead of time and arrange in advance the generous gift you have already promised. I want it to be a real gift from you. I don't want you to feel like you're being forced to give anything. What I mean is this. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart 
They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide you more than enough for every kind of good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. So at this time when Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, Judea is in a famine and they have lost jobs. Most of their jobs were in the temple. And so with the shortage of resources, they had lost their jobs and were really in this famine of time of hunger and time of need. And they needed help from their fellow Christians. And because of this, Paul sends this letter to the Corinthians to prepare them for the arrival of Titus, who's going to send to go and collect their offering. But you see, the, Gentile, the, the Corinthians were mostly Gentile Christians. And Paul is actually asking them to give an offering to the Jewish Christians. And I can only imagine how awkward this would seem because they were just in the midst of getting used to this new way of Christianity, this new way of being in community and fellowship with one another. So I'm sure there was a struggle. But even so, in chapter 8, Paul says, beginning his request to the Corinthians by telling them about the Macedonians. Now, the Macedonians were also struggling, but they were an example of extravagant generosity. At this time, they were extremely poor, and on top of that, they had suffered much persecution, so much so that it also had cost them their jobs and some income. But because of their devotion to Paul, because of their devotion to God, the work of the gospel, the unity of the church, they gave beyond their means. So Paul reminds the Corinthians that this can only be the work of God's grace. And he wants God's grace for the Corinthians as well. But it's not his only desire for them. Paul also wants them to grasp their obligation to love their neighbor and to grasp the heart of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because after all, if Jesus didn't follow through, what would have happened? If Jesus hadn't been obedient to his death on the cross and resurrection, where would they be? In fact, where would we be today. Now, if we think about giving back then, it was very central to the Jewish and Christian practices because people perceived God as very generous. He was the giver of every good gift and the source of life and the source of love. And the people were generous because they served a generous God. In chapter 9, Paul goes on to remind the Corinthians to give cheerfully in honor and thanksgiving to God. So they will be unified with their fellow Christians and blessed by God's grace. As we read, he didn't mandate that they give, 
but he asks that they give cheerfully. He asks that they give in whatever amount that they could give. He had already told others about the Corinthians' generosity, so he was so hopeful that they would now hold to that commitment to what others had heard about them. You know, it's hard for us to understand the controversy of the Corinthians, the ins and outs of what they were going through at the time, whatever those challenges were that they were facing that hindered this giving that Paul was asking of them. And we too face challenges even today. We get caught up in our lack that we don't have enough. And when we do that, it tends to lead to anxiety, to greed, to desire, and sometimes even jealousy. It seems today we can become so consumed with the things we think we need that we lose sight of all that's going on around us that makes our lives rich, leaving very little room to, as Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know who God is. In addition, this causes us to be completely oblivious to the real needs of others. We're just so caught up in our own world and what we need or what we want that we lose sight of what's going on around us. And that's why I really love mission trips. It allows us the opportunity to immerse ourselves into helping a community in need. And some of you may have been on mission trips, so you'll know where I'm coming from with this. But it helps us to realize not only how abundant our lives truly are, but how we can have joy with less. Because the people there are always such an example of joy. And they have so much less than we do. So I spent several years traveling to Matamoros, Mexico on a mission trip to a small area called the Colonias. And in the Colonias, these people actually lived on a trash dump. And surrounding them was stagnant, contaminated water in a ditch. Nothing around them could have even remotely been sanitary. But as we would go there and we would build houses, provide food, I'll give you an example of of what they were living in and their major need for these homes to be built. We would go and a family of four or more would be living in a little plywood homemade box probably no bigger than our own closet at home. This family of four would live there and the opening of the front had a sheet that they used for their front door. But as you walk down the street, the kids were playing along these dirt roads, so joyful and laughing and just having the greatest time and the parents came together every day to help each other with chores, with meals, and caring for the kids. It was such a joyous occasion. And every time I came home from those trips, I arrived home transformed. Feeling blessed by God's grace and reminded of our call to live a life of generosity as Christ did. 
Now, Paul tells the Corinthians that God provides because of cheerful giving. And in this passage, it seems Paul is focusing on money, and that's true, but he's also purposefully focusing on grace. And we typically think of grace as undeserved love and power, which God pours on us to bring us to faith and enable us to live and grow as Christians. That's true, and that's important. But Paul is using the word grace as a reference to what God wants to do, not only in us, through us, but for us. We may worry that we don't have enough or we have lack in our lives, whatever that looks like. But Paul reminds us in the scripture we read today that God provides. God has the power to provide with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way we will have everything we always need and in everything we will have more than enough for every kind of good work. Not just some things some of the time, but everything all of the time. Remember when the Israelites were trekking through the wilderness on their way to the promised land with Moses and they complained they didn't have enough food and God said, fine, I will provide manna. And God provided. God provided manna every day. But the stipulation was don't save it because if you gather more than you need, it's not going to keep. It's gonna rot and it's not gonna be usable. So only eat what you need for the day. Only take what you need for the day. The rest will be here for the next day. And God provided every day for the Israelites. God provided for them, and God will provide for us. Also, giving cheer, uh, cheerfully creates unity. Paul wasn't concerned about the amount of giving, fulfilling their promise to give. He wanted the Corinthians to fulfill, to give the offering that they said they would. But he was more concerned about the unity of the whole Christian family. He believed that this effort could make a huge impact on the church. And not only on the church of that day, but the church of future generations. As it was a sign that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians really do belong together. Jesus, who was rich in the glorious mystery of God's inner being, became poor and humble. And in turn, Paul was living as an example of Christ and encouraging Christians to do the same. He invited them to discover a completely new identity as he himself had experienced. And we are invited to do the same. We have to keep in perspective though that our gathering of more won't save us, but God will. And after all, we aren't owners of our resources, right? We're stewards of them. And if we today give our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, we won't even be able to measure the abundance of the power of the gospel. Even if each of us is, us is faithfully 
participating in ministry? What if just one of those United Methodist vows we put into practice? What if we just took one, prayers, presence, gifts, service, or witness? Imagine where the church and the community would be. Sometimes people go, well, I don't know where to begin, or I don't really know what I'm interested in. I would just encourage you to reach out to the pastors or staff here. We are more than willing to help you explore those interests so that you can make a difference in the community as you live out those vows. We give in response to the Spirit's urging. We feel a soul-sustaining satisfaction in the sense of meaning and connection when it comes to generosity. And we give because we love God. Paul gave because he loved God. We give because we love God, we love the church, and we desire to grow to love our neighbors. We're already blessed by God's grace, forgiveness, and eternal life. Everything we have comes from God's abundant generosity. And everything should return to God in thanksgiving. Again, we are stewards of our resources. And we should strive to excel in generosity just as we strive to excel in all other areas of our lives. This is what it means to be God's people. Giving generously also reprioritizes our lives and helps people distinguish what is lasting, eternal, and infinite versus what is temporary, imaginary, and untrustworthy. You know, I've had friends ask, why is the church always asking for money? I'm sure you guys have had that question as well. And here's the deal. Generosity is not about the church's need for money. It's about our need to give. The practice of giving blesses and benefits the giver and in turn strengthens the mission and ministry of the church. We may find it hard to, be, to give like the Corinthians did because our hearts and minds are powerfully shaped by influence. It's hard to give extravagantly because our society's values shape our perceptions more than our faith's values do. But Paul reminded the Corinthians and reminds us that it's not what we give, it's how we give. There's a richness found in intentional giving that leaves us hungry to give more. And that's true whether we are being generous with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, or our witness. I'll tell you, the more I went to Matamoros, the more I wanted to do for them. Now there are five ways, five characteristics, if you want to look at it that way, in which we give. Some of us give out of duty. We give because it's our Christian obligation. Some give out of self-satisfaction. We give because it makes us feel good. Some give out of prestige. We give because we want to be known as a giver. And some, for some it's reciprocal. We give because we want to receive in return but the way of giving that is freeing is agape giving. Agape love, we give not out of obligation, but out of opportunity. We give out of our love for God and others. 
We can experience a deep sense of fulfillment when we are generous. Partially the affirmation of another person that we care about his or her needs and our connection to him or her as a fellow human being. Giving also inhabits our souls with eternal richness, something that can't be done with worldly desires. Generosity give, generously giving reflects the love of God, and that love is reflected in a heart of generosity. What if we focused on generosity with our neighbors? What if we valued what really makes us rich? I believe that our lives would be transformed, and the world would be transformed one generous act at a time. So let me ask you today, what is keeping you from being a cheerful giver? Where do you feel God might be calling you to have a heart of generosity? I would encourage you to grapple with those words. Pray and think about where God is calling you to serve, and in what ways. You can start small or you can start big anyway. But I encourage you to try it if you haven't already, because you will be blessed abundantly. Amen.